it was a legitimate 11 year struggle yeah. and fight to get to that point. I felt like I was pretty good. I never had a, a WWE championship title match in any way, shape or form in over a decade. So the fact that uh, when I finally get one, I get to win the WWE championship at WrestleMania. Number one, you talk about childhood dreams coming true. Yeah. That was my childhood dream. Like I used to make like those wrestling rings that I would make in the backyard. I would envision myself as being the WWE champion. So this is like, this is, this was the dream. Thank you for checking in to 10 questions with NBC 10 Boston, the podcast. I'm Kwani A. Lunas. In this episode, we talked to Kofi Kingston about his journey into the WWE, his Ghanaian roots, and why Kofi Mania ended up being bigger than he had ever imagined it would be. Take a listen. He's originally from Ghana, but was raised in Massachusetts, went to Boston College. Our guest today is WWE superstar Kofi Kingston. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take us back. How does someone from Ghana decide to get into the world of wrestling? It's funny. I, I, a lot of people have a moment where they realize like, oh, I saw this guy on television and then I realized I wanted to be a wrestler. Uh, for me, I, I don't really have one of those. I feel like for as long as I can remember, I've always been just enamored by WWE and the characters and the outfits and the costumes and the bright colors and the storylines and, you know, the drama between person A and person B and then person C gets involved. I've just always been enthralled by it. You know, um, I've always been drawn to it and I've just always always known that this is what I wanted to do. You know, it's my childhood dream. So, um, yeah, I mean, I used to watch like uh, superstars every Saturday morning and, um, you know, watch my favorite guys like Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart. And um, I just knew that I wanted to I, I wanted to do that. You know, I wanted to be in the ring and and wrestle. I, I, I made a lot of uh, like uh, just you know, makeshift wrestling rings. I don't even want to call them that because I would take like an extension cord, tie it to a tree, get a volleyball net, tie that to something, and then make this like three-sided wrestling ring in my backyard and then just go out there and try to have matches with myself. So um, it's just always been a part of my fiber ever since I can remember. And I specifically mentioned you being Ghanaian because anyone that knows African parents, Caribbean parents, for someone to end up in the world of wrestling is definitely not a traditional <laughs> route. I know your parents are both scholars. Your dad actually works at Boston College. Yeah. I was doing research and I was like, wait, is this who I think it is? The picture that popped in my mind of the person that I thought it was when I looked up your last name, your dad is definitely well known on campus. He's always walking around smiling. Yep. Know yep. So always how a smile on his face. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So That's where I get it from. I, I can see that. I, I <laughs> see the yeah. So how did you convince them to support your your endeavors, considering that you know they were very education based? Yeah, it was. Uh, I, it's funny because I don't think that they really understood what I wanted to do until I actually got hired by WWE. So the typical process is if you decide you want to be a wrestler, you find a wrestling school to train at. So I trained um, up in uh, North Andover at the um, Chaotic Training Center. Now back then it was Killer Kowalski School of yeah. Professional Wrestling. And um, I, I remember telling my mom and dad that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try this uh, wrestling thing out. And at the time, I like just graduated from college. Uh, well, I was three years. I was three years deep, you know, uh, three years after college. 
Um, and I'm supposed to be like climbing this corporate ladder. I worked at Staples on Route 9, you know, just uh, every day driving in and being in that cubicle, which is amazing for some people. Like the consistency works. You you know what your day is going to look like pretty much every single day. You know what you're going to do day in, day out. Uh, but for me, walking into that cubicle, I just knew I wasn't fulfilled. Like I was almost kind of crestfallen. Like my heart sank and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be the rest of my life for, you know, I just started and I'm already feeling this, this sense of, you know, I don't want to be here. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't until three years into my career at Staples that I decided like, you know what, let me give this, uh, this wrestling thing a shot and see if I can make it, you know? And uh, in telling my parents that when I first started training, um, so I would train uh, after work. So I'd work my full eight, nine hour day, and then I would drive to the school and then, you know, train for like three hours and then drive back home. Uh, at the time I was living in Cleveland Circle. And, uh, you know, I did that like five days a week. So uh, very long days. And then we finally started having like shows. And I told my parents that I was going to be uh, doing these shows and these were at like Knights of Columbus halls and, you know, bingo halls and like crowds of maybe like a hundred people at the, a hundred people would be like a really, really good crowd back in the day. So now my parents are like, you graduated college. We, you know, we paid for you to go through college and, and you got this education and, and you're going to these bingo halls and you're wrestling people. I don't understand. So uh, they didn't really know how big it could possibly be. Um, but lo and behold, I, luckily I was, I was, you know, pretty uh i'm trying to say this without being like arrogant but i was pretty good you know for for being in the in the in the business for such a small amount of time and um i ended up getting hired in 2006 and um you know that you know i got to the main roster less than a year later and survivor series uh a, a, a pay-per-view that we have that involves like people from both rosters raw and smackdown kind of going up against each other as almost like an all-star game type vibe to it. And um, my parents got to go to that match and it was in Boston. And then they saw like, oh, all the people, they're all cheering for my son. And then all of a sudden, you know, my parents, they became my biggest supporters and my biggest fans. My mom wants every single t-shirt of mine that comes out so she can wear and tell all of her friends and everything. So now they get it, they understand. Um, but initially they, they definitely gave me some, uh, some strange looks about just, you know, they were, I remember my mom specifically saying like, well, make sure you're still climbing that ladder. Make sure you're still doing well at work. Uh, you know, and I, I, I tried to juggle both for as long as I could. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. It's hard to believe that was, uh, in, in 2006 and oh. I'm dating myself, you know? So, uh, but it, it, the thing about it is that I, I tell people all the time is when you find something that you love to do, like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like work. You know, I go to my, my job, but I don't feel like I'm, you know, there like at a, at a, at a job, you know, I'm there, I'm having fun. Um, I have a creative outlet. I have a big influence on, um, on people. They, the kids listen to what I have to say for some reason, you know, I, I'm just, a, I'm just a guy, I'm just a guy, but they listen to me. So, uh, we, we use our social, um, responsibility. We take our social, uh, influence very, very, uh, responsibly and um and seriously so um it's a great position to be in and just spreading like a sense of motivation to people is really at the crux of what what means the most to me right and a typical bc alum to be living in cleveland circle out of college yeah <laughs> back to your bc experience though during that time was there ever an inkling like all right yes i have to climb a corporate ladder when i get out of school 
but a part of you was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Like I, I, you already knew in your core that it wasn't going to work out. I didn't know what was going to happen. I, 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 I fluctuated a lot. We didn't have to choose a major. Um, I think until like, uh, what sophomore year or something yeah. like that. So, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do initially. I, I knew I wanted to be involved in television in some way, shape or form. So, um, I finally decided communications. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, at one point I was even considering, uh, being, or, you know, going into law. It wasn't until I, I actually graduated from college and actually like getting like, you know, towards like senior year where I had to go to interviews and everything. It was a very kind of like unnerving feeling where I thought that, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do because everyone's telling me what I'm supposed to do. You're supposed to climb the corporate ladder. You're supposed to, you know, go out and interview and 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 get a job right out of college. Um, but it wasn't because I was, do it wasn't that I was doing it because of what I was feeling inside. I was just doing it because that's what you're supposed to do. This is what you're taught. This is what you're supposed to do. I think a lot of people fall into that trap. And again, it's, it's great. Obviously you want to use your education to, you know, um, to, to, to be able to live comfortably and have a good job that can provide you with a, you know, a, a salary to feed your family and, and to live a comfortable life. But there's a, there's something about just following your heart and uh following your passion mm -hmm. even if it doesn't if it doesn't pay right away you know i think that that should be your priority and if you can do that like out of college awesome you find what you want to do and you're able to like you know build that foundation through the classes and the courses that you take um that's great but if not don't be afraid to still try so um yeah, I, I was a communications major. Uh, like I said, got a job with uh, Staples right out of college, and and that's where I was at. And eventually, you make it, like you said, into the WWE world, and your character is Jamaican, which you know, there's a whole story behind that. I definitely want to hear that. Yeah, but then yeah, your mom's yeah. the one who ends up blowing your cover. So yeah. Yeah, well, that was the thing is that so when I was at that school, the major um, what you were supposed to do was come up with a character. Oh, WWE signing characters. They need people with personality. And I was listening to the Damian Marley uh, album at the time. And I remember driving to work. Welcome to Jamrock. And, um, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe I can do like a Jamaican character. I remember back in the day, Mad Lion, there was a skit where uh, somebody was talking to Mad Lion, hey, Lion, yeah. So I started doing that in the car, you know? And um, then we had like a promo day where we just go out and get in the ring and we just talk. And mm -hmm. I cut a promo about uh, Ric Flair, mm -hmm. legendary wrestler who had, who had stolen my Jamaican beef patty and I was mad at him, you know, he threw it in the trash or something like, so I just made up this and then everybody in the crowd, everyone, all the students were just like, you know, they were, they were excited. They were just like, oh my God, they had never seen something like that before. So I knew I had something that um, I could, I could build on. Um, and uh, yeah, before you know it, like that's what gets me signed being a, something that was unique, doing a character that was unique, uh, playing that character. Um, and then uh, I get on the television and I'm, you know, doing these uh, these intro videos of Kofi Kingston on the beach, you know, uh, just like bring people like making uh, sure that people don't bring trouble to your paradise and, you know, beating up these bullies who are, you know, playing loud music on the beach or kicking sand in people's faces. Um, and then and that was it. And then I was Jamaican. And I remember like people uh, went back when MySpace was a thing. They said that, uh, you know, like they're, they're Jamaican people, people from Jamaica. And they said, well, 
you, that's not a Jamaican accent. And I was like, I know it's really bad. It's a real bad. I've never been to Jamaica. Here I am playing a Jamaican character, you know? And then Ghanaians were like, oh, well, if you want to be Jamaican, then go ahead. You know, you have that culture. I said that we're playing characters on a, on a television show. Like what, what is going on? Why is everybody mad? But um, yeah, then um, I remember having an interview where the reporter was really trying to dig in and he was like well kofi is a very ghanaian name uh, you know and it is it's like mike or john over there you know it's the name given to a boy born on friday yeah he just kept drilling me drilling me drilling. and i'm just like man after the interview i was like man he was really pressing to find out about my heritage and i was told to always be in character no matter what and i was like oh no my mother she really loved the african culture she you know just a tribute to ghana the motherland so she named me kofi but i'm from jamaica you know terrible jamaica i'm just I'm, you know digging myself deeper and deeper this is like a, a real reporter so then he finds um like my dad's number, my dad gives him my mom's number, and then my mom spills the beans, like you said. And then she calls me like a half hour later. And she's like, oh, a reporter just called me and he was asking me questions about, oh, are you from Jamaica? And I said, oh yeah, not really, but he's from Ghana, you know, and this is just like a business, this. The... And so now he writes this article and it's just like, oh, well, Kofi Kingston, um, he doesn't, he, you know, uh, he's ashamed of his culture and this and that, mm -hmm. and he's, you know, choosing a Jamaican character and this. And I'm just like, bro, what, like, what is happening? You're supposed to be like an accredited reporter. Like it says WWE, like World Wrestling Entertainment, like, you know, you, so, uh, but at the time I was really nervous about my cover being blown. Um, and I remember going into uh, Vince's office and, and just being like, hey, the jig is up. You know, they all know, everybody knows. Right. And uh, a few, probably like a year or two later, I just started talking in my normal voice and uh, dropped the Jamaican accent, which uh, for me, was great because it's hard enough to remember what you have to say, let alone how you have to say it. And on top of that, your accent is bad. So uh, it was kind of a breath of fresh air, a sigh of relief for me to be able to uh, speak in a, in, in, an, in a way that was organic or true yeah. to me. <laughs> but you obviously still are proud of your Ghanaian culture. Yeah, what of course. What do you the most about being Ghanaian? You said, what, who, what? What do you love the most about being Ghanaian? Oh, you know what? I think that, um, and I've, I've realized this as I've uh, been able to go back a couple years ago. I hadn't been to Ghana um, in 26 years. It was 26 years. Um, I went there in like seventh grade and I was able to go and meet like a lot of my family members. And we have such a huge family over there in Ghana. And everybody is just so, so welcoming, you know, so eager to bring an outsider in and I know I was born there but I hadn't been there for quite some time but I was really embraced with you know warm arms and um it was the same feeling going back in 2019 as the WWE champion um same thing it was almost like you see uh, Muhammad Ali in South Africa and everybody in is in the streets like just like around him and wanting to just get eyes on him and and, and put a hand on him and that's really kind of what it felt like being able to go back to Ghana um as the WWE champion. Uh, and I really felt like the, just the love. And one thing that I've uh, heard from a lot of different people is that Ghana is one of the most um, just welcoming nations in Africa. Uh, as a matter of fact, in 2019, the president had declared it as the year of return. So you saw a lot of celebrities going over to Ghana um, as they were encouraged to do so to kind of reacclimate and get in touch with the motherland and go and, and, you know, reconnect with your roots. I think that's so important. I've never met a Ghanaian that's mean, you know? I've yeah. never met a Ghanaian that is 
not welcoming, that is not friendly, that is not nice. It just seems to be something that by culture, we all, um, we, we like people, we embrace people, and uh, we do our best to lift people up. So I think that, uh, you know, you, I see that in, in my parents. That's what I've always seen. And that's what I try to portray for my kids to see. Uh, and I see that with Ghanaians all over the world. Which I don't understand why you and Nigerians have this beef. It doesn't. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I married a, my, my wife is half Nigerian, so I'm doing oh, my best to kind of close the gap. You know what no, I'm saying? It's, it's, all, it's all love. Despite the world of WWE, I think anyone that follows pop culture, they've seen the New Day and the outfits that you guys wear. And and they're just, they're iconic. Like you look at the memes, the gifts, whatever they are, and you're like, wow, like who designed this? Who created this? So I want to know what is the inspiration behind the outfits that you guys usually wear? A lot of, uh, it just depends. We have a, we draw inspiration from a lot of different places. Um, we have drawn inspiration from anime like Dragon Ball Z, uh, comic books, uh, Green Lantern, Red Lantern. Um, even Xavier Woods, one of my tag team partners, is a big, uh, one of my tag team partners, he's a big cosplayer. So there's a, a convention called Dragon Con that's held at a hotel in Atlanta. And there's like this, I guess, iconic carpet that has this real particular design. So we made a set of gear that was the carpet design, you know? So only a handful of people understood it, but um, that's what we do. Like a lot of the stuff that we that we do is not necessarily for like the mainstream, but like a, a niche group of people that might get it. It might be one or two people, but um, you know, even, um, you know, for Black History Month, we wore gear that had uh, a lot of civil rights leaders on the on the on the gear in different patches, which I'll talk about a little bit later because uh, Big E is doing something incredible um, mm-hmm. to to promote um, the education of you know civil rights leaders and things like that. But uh, as far as the gear is concerned, it's uh, we've always just taken a lot of pride in wanting to have the best gear on the roster. We have a lot of people that come together. Uh, Robert Adams with Main Event Gear, he's been um, our seamster, you know, the guy who puts all the gear together. Uh, Jonathan Davenport is our designer. Um, he's just an incredible individual. Anytime we come up with something that it might be like way left field, he just nails it every single time. Uh, my WrestleMania gear from two years ago was a uh, Basquiat yeah. inspired and just a lot of the, the the commonalities between my career in wrestling and, and WWE and his career in the, the world of fine arts and painting and things of that nature. There was just so many similarities, um, just like he wasn't supposed to be there, you know, uh, you yeah. know, he, but he kept on just knocking at the door and he wouldn't be denied. And that was kind of consequently, like how my, coincidentally, how my career went as well. Um, so yeah, very, very long winded answer here for you, but I, you know, there's a lot of different, whatever we're feeling at the time, we just try to make into gear, um, you know, Michael Mosley, another guy. So you see like all of our, um, like outfits and, and big like accessory pieces, he puts all that stuff together too. So we have a really good team that just, always comes together and nails our concepts and makes us look really, really cool. So, um, yeah, lucky to have such a good team to get everything together. And you do mention Basquiat. You might need to make a trip back to Boston because MFA does have an exhibit out right now about specifically about him, which I thought was really Really? Yes, you should check Oh, my God. I got Yeah, (laughs) now I got to go. I'm going to wait till it gets a little bit warmer and hopefully it stays there. But, you know, the cold is not really my my forte anymore, but I'll go up there when it gets warmer. 
Speaking of the New Day, also, people want to know, and by people, I mean my friends that are WWE fans, will we ever see the iconic trio back together again? Yeah, the funny thing is, is uh, so a lot of people viewed what happened. So for those of you who don't know, uh, myself, Big E, and Xavier Woods, we are a faction. We call ourselves the New Day. Uh, we... It's our, our faction is based on like a true brotherhood because in real life, like we are like legitimate brothers. Anytime we see each other, it is a feeling of elation that we have. And we just, we get real loud. doesn't matter where we are. And we just are genuinely happy to see each other like long lost family members, even if we've seen each other like a week before. Uh, and what happened was, uh, so Monday Night Raw um, and, and SmackDown are two different shows that we have for WWE. And you have members who are on the Raw roster and then the SmackDown roster. For the past six plus years, myself, Woods, and E have been a unit together. Uh, we have never been split apart. We've never had a, a fight on TV. Uh, we've never had a fight in real life, you know? Um, and uh, now Big E got drafted to SmackDown while myself and Xavier Woods got drafted to Raw. So now it's very strange because I walk into the locker room and it's just me and Woods. It's like, oh, there's something missing. Or E will walk into his locker room now, and it's just him. And he's like, oh, he's by himself. Uh, but like in our minds, like we, it wasn't like a real breakup per se. Uh, it was a physical breakup in the sense that we don't see each other physically every week. But yeah. the brotherhood is still there. You know, we're still texting. You know, we still have our podcast together, the New Day Podcast. If you go yeah. on to uh, Spotify yeah. or wherever your podcast viewing platforms, check us out. You know, we 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 say things, we talk. Um, but it, it's we still have that brotherhood. Uh, but it is very strange to be in the ring now with just like myself and Woods, and you know, we thinking of like matches, and it's like, oh, this would be a good part for E to be here to be like the muscle. And we don't have that muscle anymore. We don't have the numbers anymore. Uh, so we just kind of look at it as E going out and he's doing his thing on SmackDown. He's dominating. And now myself and Woods are going to be dominating on Raw. And we're all going to come back together eventually. And we'll be even higher on the mountain, which is the point of being able to be in such a group like this. We always want to lift each other up. We want to make sure that we are getting the most out of this career because it's a very, very short career that we have with WWE in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I might have, I might be around. I might have been around for a little bit too long at this point. You know what I mean? Almost yeah, like 12 that. years going on, but you know, who's counting? I might have been around for a little bit too long. But, um, you know, while we're here and while we're able to do this, we always want to make sure to elevate each other. And right now, Big E is the Intercontinental Champion, and he's doing great. He's doing amazing. He's just an amazing um, orator. His his ability to speak, his ability to move people, his ability to motive, his ability to motivate is unmatched. You know, uh, not to mention his look is he, he checks off all the boxes. You know, he's an incredible athlete. He has an amazing presence in the community, and um, he deserves a chance to just be at the top and be the face of the uh, of the industry. And if we have to have him get drafted to SmackDown in order for him to have a chance to do that, then myself and Woods are all about that and supporting him in getting to that next level. So, um, yeah, we I mean, we yeah, we're not together in the physical. Yeah. But rest assured, the new day, like it's it's all it's all good. We don't see us like turning on each other with with chairs in the middle of the right. ring or, you know, any things that things that you've seen other factions do over the years. I'm sure fans would love to hear that the brotherhood is deeper than just what they see on TV, that it is. Yeah. That's real. And you mentioned the social responsibility earlier of people that have a platform like you do. You talked a little bit about Big E's new initiative. So for those who don't know about it, what is that initiative about? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's if you go to Our Heroes Rock, this is the name of the project. It's called Our Heroes Rock, and it's a way that um, my Big E and uh, Andreas Hale. So if you listen to our podcast, we had a uh, discussion about um, you know, social injustice, uh, an episode that was very impactful to a lot of people, and it was uh, kind of emceed by Andreas Hale and um, Jonathan. Like I mentioned, uh, Jonathan Davenport did all like the design and everything for it. But it's kind of like an animated series that is going to target like you know one uh, major African American influence in history, mm-hmm. and you know it's done in a way through like hip hop and and animation and uh, just a, a fun way where kids who are young, you know, five, six, seven, eight, can start to learn about um the of just about black history and it's such an amazing like he showed us the uh the video actually if you go to his uh his instagram page or twitter page you can see um it's at wwe biggie and you can go there and you can see like the kickstarter uh video it's just an amazing it just looks like a fun experience and what better way to get kids to learn about black history than through fun so if you go to ourheroesrock.org you'll be able to kind of you know donate and and see what it's all about and um i I, everybody's really really excited about it we're just so proud of e for taking on this initiative and being able to uh you know just use again like use our celebrity for something positive so um and yeah that that's really what it's all about for us uh with wwe we do a lot of different um I guess activities where we go to like elementary schools or high schools or boys and girls clubs. We have a great partnership with the boys and girls club of America. We go and we talk to kids and we tell them about our experience. We have a be a star program, which is an anti-bullying campaign where we teach kids to show tolerance and respect for their peers. You know, all of us growing up dealt with bullying in some way, shape or form, whether you were bullied, whether you uh, watched bullying or whether you were a bully yourself, you know? So we go out and we teach kids to just be accepting of the differences between them and their peers. Uh, and like I said, for, for, for some reason, the kids tend to listen to us. So we just try to go out there and do our part. And that to me is really what it's all about. When I was a kid and I wanted to become a WWE superstar, I just wanted to like win all the championships and I wanted to be the man and have all the titles. And the more I get into my, my career, the more I realize that yes, being in the ring and winning titles, all of that is important. But what's more important is our ability to, to just influence society and lift society up and do our part to just promote positivity. So we talk about the power of positivity as characters, but it is very, very real to us, myself, Woods and E, um, to to just use our celebrity to make the world a, a, real, a much better place. When you talk about Black history, you were able to be a part of WWE yeah. history by being the first African born to win a WWE championship. What was that feeling like? But also you mentioned the fact that it was it's bigger than that. It's not just about being a WWE champion, but for you being a black person that can represent so many different kids that can look up and say, oh, this is something that I can achieve. When did you start thinking about how much it was bigger than just being a champion? Well, I knew that um, it was huge as it was happening. Uh, so the, it's crazy how I even ended up in the position because, uh, Ali, another guy on our roster ended up getting hurt. Uh, and I was his replacement to get into a match that we call the elimination chamber, where you have, uh, six different individuals wrestling for the WWE championship. Um, and 
when I got put in that match, I got a lot of messages from a lot of people, particularly like people of color, just like, oh my God, you could be the first, uh, you know, African born WWE champion. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, that would be really, really cool. But WrestleMania is like really far away. So I don't know. Things are always changing. I wouldn't let myself get excited about it, you know, but just like as the groundswell and the natural progression of people wanting me to win, they called it Kofi mania. And I, I hate those words coming out of my mouth because it does not sound cool when I say it, but it really sure is cool to look out in the crowd and see these Kofi mania signs and they, you know, artists making them infused with the WrestleMania logo. Um, it's just really, really powerful. And I, I just, I knew at that point that like, man, if this goes down and this happens, like this is incredibly historic. We know how long WWE has been around. And for me to be the person uh, who is the first African born to, person to, to hold the WWE championship, uh, this would be amazing. But again, like I wouldn't let myself get too excited. And then when it actually happened, I was just like, oh my God, like this is something special. The moment was serendipitous in so many different ways. It was a legitimate 11 year struggle yeah. and fight to get to that point. Um, like I said before, I felt like I was pretty good. I never had a, a WWE championship title match in any way, shape or form in over a decade. So the fact that uh, when I finally get one, I get to win the WWE championship at WrestleMania. Number one, you talk about childhood dreams coming true. That was my childhood dream. Like I used to make like those wrestling rings that I would make in the backyard. I would envision myself as being the WWE champion. So this is like this is this was the dream, you know, um, myself, Woods and E, we uh, worked so hard to get the new day together. Uh, we worked so hard to uh, have our, our, our group succeed and, and rise. Uh, so for us to win that championship and I, and I say us because without them, I wouldn't be in that position. Um, I was never allowed to have a microphone until I was with the new day. So I was never allowed to show that side of my personality until I was with the new day. Um, I never met two guys who I love more in this industry than Big E and Xavier Woods. So we just worked so hard and we, this was the vision. This was the goal. So that was an accomplishment for our group. Uh, my wife was in the crowd. She sacrificed so much over the years for me to even be able to do this. You know, we have two amazing children um, and I am away from them a lot because of the, the business and the job. And they were there. They got to get in the ring and hold the WWE championship and hold it up in front of 80,000 people. And my other, my, my oldest son is throwing t-shirts out and they're just celebrating. And I'm like, kid, this is the reason that I've been sacrificing for your entire life. Like, this is it. And hopefully that motivates them to realize that anything that is worthwhile is going to require some sort of sacrifice just to give them that little taste. Uh, and then you move on to uh, the, the fact that, you know, again, being the, the first African born, that when I got back, uh, to my hotel room and I start going through all the videos and the messages that I got on social media. There were people who were literally crying tears, you know, uh, of joy, kids squeezing each other and holding each other and just hugging each other up uh, and crying out of joy. And then you had pictures of, of grown men in bars screaming and jumping up and crying and holding each other and embracing each other. So it, it was such an impactful moment because a lot of people didn't know if they were going to actually see it, you know, because it's one thing, and I've said this in every interview for the past two years, but I'll say it again. It's one thing to say that anything is possible in theory, but it's a completely other thing to say that anything is possible because you've seen it. Mm -hmm. I can say, well, 
I, I can do with that because Kofi did it. You know, if I'm sitting there, this guy looks like me. Wow. I can do that because he did it. You know, uh, people and, and beyond beyond race, like the, the reason why Kofi Mania was truly so big was because everybody in the world has experienced some form of struggle. You have uh, come to a crossroads where you're either pursuing something that you want to pursue um, and you don't know that it's the right decision because you're not really making progress. You're not seeing the progress that you that you think that you should see. You're, you're seeing other people around you get the different accolades that you're not getting. And by looking at me and looking at my story, you see that, oh, my gosh, this guy literally was fighting for over a decade, 11 years to climb that ladder. And he finally did it. You know, it involved a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice and a lot of luck, you know, but he did it. Maybe I can do it too if I hang in there and I do it. So I take a lot of pride in being that um, that beacon of hope for a lot of people uh, because sometimes that's all you need. Like you never know how close you are to achieving your dream or achieving what you set out to achieve, achieving your goal. Um, you know, you might be right there. You might be right there and you might just need like a little extra push. And for me to potentially be that little extra push yeah. to just let somebody keep going when they feel like they can't. I just, um, I take a lot of pride in that. I take a lot of pride in that for, for everybody and, and particularly for uh, the African-American community um, that took so much pride in, in this moment. So it's very humbling to be the one that is in that position. Um, but again, at the end of the day, like that's, that's the goal to go out and just motivate people to go out and be the best versions of themselves. You talk about representation on the women's side. We see Bianca Belair yeah. heading to WrestleMania. Over your years of being in WWE, how have you seen representation increase? You know, particularly like in the past uh, decade, um, representation has increased like tenfold. You talk about the women's movement. Um, I think uh, the Bellas were the ones who like really kickstarted it off when uh, Nikki Bella had uh, tweeted something uh, like give divas a chance. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they, it was just a situation where on uh, television you would see a lot of um, like short matches for the girls. Like a lot of times on live, the, the nature of it is that you matches you might have 15 minutes for all of a sudden you have like seven minutes for because you have to be out by a certain time otherwise you you know you're you're rolling into the the territory of a different show so we have yeah. to be off at a certain time uh and what it seemed like what was happening was that a lot of times the girls were the ones who were getting their time cut so mm -hmm. now you were expected to go out and have you know and, and show your your talent but then you only had about two minutes to do it and i think we've done a lot uh a much better job of being able to give uh, the women time to be able to go out there and tell that story. You know, uh, over the past five years, you had the first ever female, all female um, Royal Rumble, um, all women's uh, pay-per-view. Every match from top to bottom was all women's. Um, you know, the first ever Money in the Bank ladder match, which is a match where you have uh, several different contenders compete to get a briefcase that's uh, suspended from the top of the arena on a ladder and grab it. Whoever grabs it then has a, a contract to challenge for the WWE title or in the title of their choosing uh, at any given time. So we had uh, now, and now it's kind of like a, a common, it's commonplace now, but there was a time where you, you never had that before. So that's all happened in the past, you know, decade, the past five years. Um, and then even with talent from all over the world right now, 
our roster is so incredibly diverse. I mean, you look at it, you see, um, you know, a lot of African-American talent. You see a lot of uh, talent from Japan. You know, you see people from Mexico. You see people from Canada. You know what I'm saying? You see people from India. You see people from all over the world. And that is really what WWE should be because we influence everybody. Like I've had the, uh, the luxury of traveling all over the world and seeing the impact that WWE has in so many different nations across the world. So why wouldn't we have representation? You know, it just makes sense. So um, I, I'm, I'm proud of the diversity that we have on the roster right now. Right now, it's, it's probably the most diverse that it's ever been. And it keeps on getting more and more diverse. And really, that's what it's all about when you think about, again, the, the amount of um, just countries and the amount of people that we touch with this amazing product. And I know you're not anywhere near finishing your career yet, but looking forward a little bit, what would you like to be remembered for? How would you like your legacy to be remembered when it comes to how you, you change the game? So it, it, it's funny because I, I have a, a my, my answer is not like your typical answer to this. Like, honestly, for me, I don't really I don't really care if you remember me or not. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I really I really don't. It's not about me. Yeah. Um, as long as what I do influences you to go off and and just try to follow your dream. Yeah. I, I I just want you to have that feeling. I don't care. I don't want you to say like, oh, well, if it wasn't for Kofi, you know, and then like now I'm just like, well, yeah, I did that. I, I really could care less. I couldn't care any less um, if if people remembered me or not. What What is really important to me is just to be able to um, just give people that nudge, you know, just to influence people in a way that, um, allows them to go out and try to follow your dream because I, I, and I've said it so many times in this interview and I say it a lot, there really is nothing like doing what you want to do, doing what you love to do, being passionate about waking up and, you know, going out and feeling that you had an influence on the world. And, you know, uh, there, whatever it is that you decide to do, like when you feel fulfilled, it's a completely different feeling than, um, the feeling of a task, right? Like when you, I remember some mornings I'll wake up to go to Staples and be like, oh God, okay. And you know, you're just, you don't want to wake up, you're hitting the snooze button and then, you know, you're in traffic and you're dreading going to work Then you get to work and then you're dreading being there and then you finally leave, but then you're dreading coming back the next day. That's no way to live, man. That's no way to live. So uh, you owe it to yourself to just like, to just try to find something that you are passionate about and something that you love to do um, and just pursue it, pursue it relentlessly. And if it happens for you, I'm telling you, it is, it's just the greatest thing in the world. So, um, that's really what it's all about for me. It's, it's, it's not about me and, and, and remembering me and, and my legacy. Like I, you know, I, I would be here and I would be gone one day. Um, but you know, if, if I'm able to just influence people to just, you know, go out and, and try to fulfill yourselves, then, um, then I've done my job on this earth. Final question. I know you're on the record as being a Pats fan, but I also yeah. at one point you lived in Tampa. So I'm very curious. Yeah. Fan or were you taking Tom Brady? Like, which one is it for you? There's no, Tom which one is it? So, okay. I'll okay. So here, here's the thing. This, so this is what it's like for me. It's like, uh, so if you're a child and <laughs> your parents get divorced, right. And your dad goes off and he finds mm -hmm. happiness and he marries somebody and they have a great family. You're happy for your dad. Right. So Tom Brady, for me, he's like my dad, you know, he's like my dad. I'm, I'm happy for him. I was so excited for him to go out there and uh, and just like the conditions of 
him being able to win. I mean, in this pandemic era where you had no preseason, you had no pregame, uh, you had no preseason practice, you're on a new coach, uh, a new team with a new coach and a new system in a new city, you know, new players that you have to connect with. For you in your first year to yeah. be able to go somewhere else and completely just like grow the team with every single game getting to the Super Bowl was like, oh my God, like how did he do this? And then winning it in the fashion that they did was like, come on, man, like having Gronk and Antonio Brown go there because of him. And they were the guys who caught the touchdown passes to win the game. You know, obviously the defense had a lot to do with it. The team is stacked, but for whatever Tampa was not able to really put it all together until Tom Brady got there. And we've been trying to tell people all over the world that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. And you get a, you get a lot of hate. You get a lot of people that want to hate. Oh, he's not the GOAT. I'm just saying, like, that. if this doesn't prove it, I don't know what else does. Like, this is and, – and he's what, 44, 43? Come on, man. The greatest of all time. You have to be able to appreciate greatness in order to be great yourself. And I always told a lot of people that – who live in cities that don't have a lot of good football teams, but they want to talk trash. They want to talk trash. And I say, look, you want to hate on the Patriots. You want to hate on one of the greatest dynasties of all time. You want to hate on Tom Brady, one of the greatest players or and quarterbacks of, of all time. If you can't appreciate greatness, then you will never be great yourself. So just sit back and appreciate the history that we're seeing right now. You will probably never see something like this happen again in your lifetime. I've seen so many Super Bowls as a as a Patriots fan since I was in you know in middle school and in elementary school all the way throughout high school and beyond I've seen so many I you know what I'm saying I've seen I've seen nine Super Bowls and I've seen six Super Bowl championships in New England so I'm I'm straight you know I'm good I'm good if I think he's earned the right to go off and do whatever he wants to do but um I could go on for for hours about Tom Brady's greatness man I yeah, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, I just, I, I, he, he is awesome. And it was just amazing to see him do what he did from a, just from a human being perspective to see a human being do that is um, just truly incredible, truly incredible. So I'm, you know, I never, I never met him. I feel like I've known him for all these years and I couldn't be happier for him, um, you know, for going out there and winning number seven. Wow, bro. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kofi Kingston as much as I did. And if so, please be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, write a review, and as always, share it with a friend. You can also check out the video on NBC10Boston.com slash 10 questions. Thank you so much for listening.